Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Sex sells. And we live in a sex-saturated culture. And it's not just in magazine ads. It's in TV programs. It's in our movies, music videos. You can't open up your email without getting bombarded with this. And it's not diminishing. It's not easing up. If anything, it's on the increase. And sometimes, sometimes it feels like an outright tidal wave. (laughs) And what used to shock us as a society hardly bats an eye now. We're just, we're used to it. It it means nothing to us. I remember, I remember as a kid, TV sitcoms when I was a kid, you know, Dick Van Dyke show, I Love Lucy, mom and dad slept in twin beds, separate beds. Never quite made sense to me because I didn't know much about sex, but as a little kid, I knew my parents didn't sleep in twin beds, so there was something wrong with that picture. But now, now we have TV sitcoms where people are jumping from one person's bed to another person's bed to another person's bed. And we laugh at it. We laugh at it. We are so inundated and so inured to it, we don't even notice it anymore. And even, even just putting the pictures up here that we did this morning, we found some, you know, believe me, we went with the calmer pictures. <laughs> even that, maybe you watch those pictures, and you go, that just kind of feels weird. You know, like I'm thumbing through a magazine, it doesn't bother me. But in church, I'm not too sure. But the truth is, if there's any place where we ought to be open and upfront and honest about the subject, it ought to be in church. It really ought to be in church because our sexuality is God's idea. It is God's idea. And if we're going to learn the truth about sex, it's not going to be from our culture. If we're going to learn what really is intended and what God had in mind, then we need to know what he has to say on the subject. And to do that, you got to go all the way back to the beginning. And what we're going to do in the next few weeks is talk about this, not for shock value, not to raise attendance, but to talk honestly and openly and frankly about what it is that God had in mind when he created us this way. And if you take nothing else away this morning, I want you to take away these three words. Goodness, wholeness, and oneness. Because those are key to understanding what it is that God had in mind. Because you see, sex is a gift of God's creative goodness. He created a good thing. Genesis 1, God created humans in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made, and it was, finish the sentence, very good of all of his creation, of everything that he did. When he created male and female, he said, that's very good. It's important to understand we were created as physical beings. We are created sexually with bodies. And that's really, really important to understand because traditionally in churches, there's been kind of this really struggle with this whole idea of, of body and soul and spirit and all of that and trying to figure all that out. And that's why actually some of the real early, real early heresies in Christianity 
really wrestled with this, this idea about how could Jesus be God in spirit and be in a human body because inherently the body is evil. The body is corrupt. The body is the prison of the soul. I mean, that's kind of what the general feeling was. But the truth of the matter is when God created us with human bodies in different sexes, he said it was very good. It's almost like God said to the angels, you think sun, moon, and stars was cool? Wait till you see this. <laughs> because he was saying, this is a very good thing. We were created sexual to be sexual together. We are all body persons but with a difference. And what's interesting is God wasn't finished with creation until he had created both. When God creates Eve, brings her to Adam. Adam's response is, this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Or the old joke goes, whoa, man. (laughs) And then God adds this to it. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. God endorsed that he made male and female. And with a bond and a glue never thought of or seen before, he said, now, the two shall become one. One flesh. That's God's idea. A unity and a oneness. That's why he created us the way that he did. It is God's creative goodness. And it's a good gift. And it is a pleasurable gift. And because the church has struggled so much with this idea of body and soul and good and evil and all that stuff... There's, there's, there was, for a long time, traditionally, it was just kind of taught, well, sex is for procreation. I mean, God said, be fruitful and multiply, so that's the purpose for it, as if that's the only purpose for it, and it just is not so. The way that God created your body, the way that God created your body was to respond to touch and to pleasure and desire. He created you that way. That's part of his good creation. And you know what? You know what? The most sensitive parts of your body are those that are closest to what defines your sexuality. Sometimes it has been taught that it's just about procreation. You know, as if it's a duty. You know, it's on my chore list. You know, mow the lawn, take out the garbage, have sex with your wife. Well, okay, God, if I have to, you know. I mean, that's kind of how it's been taught. God created our bodies not just for procreation. He made it pleasurable and desirable. Look at this. You may not even know. This is in your Bible. Proverbs 5.18. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breast satisfy you always. May you always be intoxicated by her love. Read the Song of Solomon. It's a whole book. The whole book is love sonnets of a husband and wife together. It is an acting out 
of a love story. And let me just give you a little preview, okay? Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter 4. The husband says, You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. Your love makes me happier than wine. Your lips are as sweet as honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. Now, how does he know that? Does that sound like somebody just fulfilling an obligation? No. It's the way that God created us. He created sex as a gift of his creative goodness. It is not just for procreation, but it is not just for recreation either. Because the other thing that we find out about Scripture is that our sexuality is just one aspect of an integrated wholeness. Yes, it is physical. Yes, it is biological. Yes, we are created with bodies. But we are more than just bodies. And I say that because so often I hear people say things along the lines of, well, it's just sex. Like we're talking about a hobby or a sport or an interest. Like it's meaningless. It's nothing. It's no big deal. It's just sex. Two consenting adults. No harm. No foul. What's the big deal? God says it is a big deal because it's not just something you do. It involves who you are. It involves who you are becoming. We are created a body person, but we are not only body. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. This is spiritual stuff we're talking about, he says. Christ paid a price for you. So use your bodies in a way that honors God. The truth is there is more depth to your being than your sexuality. Lewis Smedes writes about it this way. He writes, sexuality is the human drive toward intimate communion. Beyond the glandular impulse, the human sexual urge is as is always toward another person. We want to experience the other, to trust the other and be trusted by him or her, to enter into the other's life by entering into the vital embrace of his or her body. And this, this is why sexuality is the sign and seal of God on our body life. Is that yearning and longing and desire. And it's a reflection of the image of God. Our longing to be known and to know, to be intimate, to be caring, to be tender, to be passionate about. It's how God created us. But it's not just recreational. In fact, the old English word that's used in most of the older translations, like King James Version, Revised Standard Version, uses the word to know, to describe the sexual act. Genesis 4, verse 1, Revised Standard Version says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. You need to understand, they are not using the word know to be some polite euphemistic phrase, okay? That is the literal translation, to know. And it carries with it not a knowledge of just information, but a knowledge that comes by observation and reflection and engagement and experience talking about really knowing. And that Hebrew word, yada, is the word that is used to describe the sexual union. In other words, God is saying it's not just physical. 
You are a whole being. And there are many, many facets to your being. And our sexuality has got to be seen in the context of who we are as whole people. You are a physical being. There is no doubt about that. You are also an emotional being. There are things that give you pleasure. There are things that give you pain. There are things that you rejoice in. There are things that you grieve over. That is a part of who you are. It's part of how God created you. You're not just physical. You are also emotional. You are also social. There are activities and things that you love to do. Hobbies that you engage in. People that you like to be around. Interactions with others. That's part of who you are too. And if that's divorced from your sexuality, it just makes all kinds of messy confusion. You are an intellectual being. You have thoughts and ideas and opinions. You are a spiritual being. Made in the image of God to share in this life with Him. The indwelling of His Spirit. And if you take your sexuality and you separate it out from the rest of who you are, it not only depersonalizes it, it dehumanizes it. Ultimately, ultimately our sexuality affects our own very personhood. And that's why it's so important to understand it from God's perspective. Sex will always affect relationships. It will affect you. It will affect your mate. And your heavenly father knows that. He knows that. And that's why he declared it at creation. And when Jesus was asked about this whole idea about divorce and remarriage and what's what and how and all of that, Jesus said, I'm not even going to go into that argument. Let's go back to what God had in mind. And when Jesus was questioned in Mark 10, he said, again, he emphasized the same thing that God said at creation. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What God declared at creation, Jesus affirmed when he was asked about it. And here's the deal. No longer two, but one. Do you know what happens when you take something that has been two, become one, and then try to separate it? glued it too good. A little piece of one gets left with the other. The big pieces of the other get left with the one. And that destroys your soul. And if you engage in promiscuous sex, if it's just recreation to you, if you just bounce around from bed to bed to bed and you think it's not hurting anybody, you have no clue. Because God says you are more than a sexual being. Yes, I created it and I created it good, but it is meant to be within the context of something bigger and something better. And ultimately, what he has in mind is that sex would become a celebration of a committed oneness. That's what he had in mind. Committed oneness. Not recreation, not enticement, 
not manipulation. Oneness. Now, i got to tell you, I hit puberty right around the time of the sexual revolution. <laughs> not real good timing. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school, you know, 4-H, you know, 4-H meant hip huggers, halter tops, and hot pants, okay? That was, that was, that was 4-H, well, hip huggers. There's two there, okay? And, you know, and I'm just, I'm a kid with raging hormones, you know, and there's all these girls coming to school dressed like, I mean, you think, you know, I know everybody thinks, you know, they dress really, and they do today, still dress pretty provocatively, but halter tops, whoa, hot pants, you know, you have no idea what you missed out on, you who are younger, no. <laughs> but here's the deal, in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that, here's what I was taught. I was taught that sex is reserved for people who are married to each other. <laughs> A little clarification there. That's what I was taught. And you know what? I bought it. I bought into that. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever else was going around me, not this. I believe this. I buy into this. And you know what? When I was about 16, 17 years old, I met a young girl named Betty Ann Elmore. And she had bought into it too. And to this day, I have no regrets. No regrets. And I don't say that as a boast because you have no idea how hard it was. <laughs> well, maybe you do. I don't know. I told her I wasn't going to use very many personal illustrations in this series. <laughs> but I have, as a pastor, counseled numerous people, individuals and couples, who thought it didn't matter. And we're dealing with the aftermath of all of that garbage. Sex is an expression of human intimacy. It is the release of all inhibition and restraint in passion and in desire and pleasure. But that level of intimacy involves a great deal of vulnerability and personal exposure and risk. And that requires an equal level of trust commitment. Sexual fulfillment is about more than technique. You know, I, I, I do the grocery shopping in our house, and you get to the checkout stand, and you're standing there and scan, and then, you know, the magazine racks at the checkout stand. Magazine after magazine after magazine. Best sex ever. New techniques to turn him on. You know, all these things. And every month, it's a new technique. And every month, it's best ever. It's like, how long is it going to take for them to figure this out? <laughs> because it's not about technique. The big O is not orgasm. The big O is oneness. It's oneness. Lewis Smeads again. 
People cannot live by orgasm alone. Sexual relations cover a lot more ground than a few moments of intercourse. Sexual fulfillment is achieved when a personal relationship underpins the genital experience and supports it and sustains it through a human relationship that continues after it. That's God's design. God's plan for oneness and his plan for oneness has never changed. He said it at creation. Jesus affirmed it when he was around. Paul echoed it in his letter to the churches. Ephesians 5.31 For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That is God's plan. It has been from the beginning. It has never changed. And I know some of you sit there and say, but that's so old-fashioned. Come on, I knew you were going to say that. I thought this was going to be a fun series. You're just going to talk about the same old stuff they always... Because it doesn't change. Because it's how God created us. His design was for a oneness, and that oneness takes a commitment. And it's not a legal permission slip, and it's not signing a contract. It is a no-holds-barred covenant commitment. And there's so many people today that talk about they're making a commitment, and all they're doing is making a deal. Commitment. It says no turning back. I'm in this all the way. See, when we design contracts, why do we design a contract? We do it for our own protection. A contract, we write up between us because I want to make sure that you perform what you promised to perform. And you want to make sure that I do what I promised I would do. And so we agree to something and we both sign on it because if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, you got recompense with me. That is not covenant. That is not even commitment. Seems like it because you're signing a contract, but it's not. Commitment is, covenant is, no matter what. No matter what. And God didn't declare that, and God didn't design that because he doesn't want us to have any fun. He designed it and declared it because he wants the very, very best for us. Paul, again, to the Corinthian church, the wife's body does not belong only to her. It also belongs to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong only to him. It also belongs to his wife. That's commitment. And don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be naive enough to say marriage is the guarantee that you're going to achieve that kind of oneness. Because I know plenty of marriages that on paper it all looks good, but there's no oneness going on at all. And sex is an issue that divides more than brings together. And it's demand and putting up with and it's a chore and it's all because you haven't understood what God wanted you to have in the first place. And I also know this morning that there are people here who have suffered the heartbreak of a divorce. (laughs) Because you gave yourself to someone like that and you were betrayed. And you, more than anyone else, understand the depth of what we're talking about this morning. And I want to tell you as a pastor, all the years and all the counseling that I have done with people who never understood this and have suffered because of it in their own lives and the suffering and pain they've caused other people, 
God loves you. He knows what's best for you. And he designed you in a way to fully experience all that he intended. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. And you may be single, and you may be divorced, you may be married, you may be widowed, you may be a young teen just kind of figuring this whole thing out. I just want to say to you, God designed it. He designed it good. He designed it as a bigger, bigger part of a bigger package of wholeness. And it's to be celebrated in a committed oneness. And we live in a culture that uses sex to manipulate us, to sell us something, to make a buck. But we also have a heavenly father who loves us and says, this is what I had in mind. So who are you going to trust? You're going to trust the one who's just using you, manipulating you, making a buck off of you? You're going to trust the one who truly loves you. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 